story county the mustang still runs free eagle soars above the pinion pines and we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines so let them run Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vail, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I had the honor of sitting down and having a conversation with Mr. Craig Moore. Craig and his bride, Katie, own more horsemanship in May, Texas. Craig is a past champion of the Extreme Mustang Makeover and was a 2021 wildcard competitor at Road to the Horse in Fort Worth, Texas. Craig is a wonderful trainer, a wonderful thinker, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I'm, 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 really, I'm really excited that you took the time, um, and uh, I hope that... Uh, we can uh, have everybody get to know Craig Moore a little better. Um, yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate you having me. I mean, happy to be here and hopefully we can entertain some people today with what we've got to say. I Sometimes I just can't wait to hear what comes out of my mouth because I never know what's coming next. <laughs> all right, let's dally up and get with it. Um, first of all, let, let's get to know kind of who you are and where you came from. Please tell me about your, your family life growing up. Um, things like were you raised with horses what what was your life like before you became a professional trainer so i was actually raised on a beauty shop for a while my mom was a beautician at the time and owned a beauty shop and we lived on top of that and that was around oh i was probably around 13 and right around the time i got into horses so we started out in motocross and did that for a while and then we got out of that and I was the only one in my family that got into horses. So nobody else in my family rides. And I, I couldn't even tell you why I wanted to do it. Just one day I asked if I could do it. My parents started getting me lessons and a good friend of mine, uh, his mom gave lessons and he could have been the reason I wanted to do it. And soon after I was just wanting to be a roper. And so the roping's what got me hooked on the horse stuff. And that was, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old and did high school rodeo after high school, I did college rodeo. And, um, you know, that's kind of where it all kicked off. And then I was able to go work for a couple different horse trainers and learn some stuff from them. And, you know, when you're at that level, like when you've just got done rodeo and you don't learn as much because you're just not 
or at least I wasn't wired that way yet. And at that time I was kind of just getting hours in the saddle and that's just as valuable as the uh, technical knowledge that we learned too. So that was a super good thing, but I guess to go back a little bit, my family, I was raised, uh, my mom and dad, you know, together, still together, you know, uh, three siblings. I got two brothers and a sister. I'm the youngest. And I would say pretty, pretty good life. You know, I can't complain too much. We, we weren't rich, but you know, we weren't poor. We had everything we needed and it was a, it was a pretty good life for me growing up. So do you, do you, do you ever remember a a time when you, when, when did you decide, when did you make the decision to, to switch from, from being a competitor to, to becoming a teacher of horses. Do you remember kind of how that transition came about? So it's kind of funny story. I was rodeoing and I moved out to California to work for a horse trainer named Les Oswald and rode with him. So this is after college. So I'm, I'm like 20, I guess I wasn't quite 21 and I rode with him for a year. And then I went up to Oregon for a little bit. Uh, stayed with a friend of mine and then after that I came back home to Arizona and stayed with my parents and I, I actually completely got out of horses I sold my truck and trailer I bought a Dodge Challenger I became a golfer I was golfing six days a week probably four hours a day I was an EMT at night so I I would uh, drive the ambulance at night and and that's just kind of what I did for a few years probably almost five years um well, I guess it would have been about three and a half years I did that. And I became a paramedic in that time. I was, I only worked on call. So I worked at night and then I just, I was, I will say at the time I was dating a girl and she was in horses. So I got back into horses. And one of the first things I did when I got back into it was a cold starting competition in Cottonwood, Arizona. And I, I definitely didn't have the experience or the knowledge, but I had started following some people online and I thought, you know, I'd like to learn about the cult starting. And even though I rode for two trainers, it was all performance stuff. So I didn't really know how to start cult, which is kind of funny, but you'd be surprised how many people ride horses every day and couldn't actually start their own cult. And so it would have been that time after that cult starting challenge, a lot of people liked the way I did things around horses, the way I moved around horses, the way I interacted with horses. And so that was the time when I said, okay, I'm going to dedicate my waking hours to becoming the best cult starter I can, because I felt like that was just so important to get that good foundation on a horse. But it was that competition in Cottonwood that really got me going. And at that time, I probably would have been, that was in 2016. So that was only six years ago. It's kind of crazy. And so you got the (laughs) kind of like me, I, I, I didn't start, you know, technically start a cult till I was 52 years old. Uh, You know, my, my dad was a, was a pretty, a pretty good buckaroo and, and, you know, growing up on the ranch as a little kid, you know, dad, dad broke all the horses. I, I, you know, I I got to ride the nice ones And, and it wasn't until, you know, I got out on my own that, that I had to, you know, what do you mean? I, I have to start my own. I, I, I actually en- tried to enlist him to, to start uh, a really nice cutting horse uh, prospect that I bought. And <clears throat> he said, no, starting yourself. And so 
I had to kind of swallow it and, and, and learn myself. But with, you know, as you said, it, it's, it's such a critical thing to start that horses off right like that. So, you know, congratulations for, for recognizing that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, so you decided you, so is that, was that the decision you decided that you were going to, to enter this as a cult starter, that that's how you wanted to, to pursue a career in horses? Yeah. You know, at that point I was a pretty proficient team roper. I'd trained some team roping horses. I'd ridden for the performance guys and, you know, I, I understood how to, you know, soften a horse and, and do a few things, nothing major, but um, the cult starting for me is where it started. And I really focused on that. And to be honest, I almost think I got in a little, it was almost like that whole thing, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees because I was so busy trying to be the best cult starter. That's like, you know, for some guys, cult starting is the first week. It's the first three days. It's the first month. And then they move on. And so there was ways in which it actually held me back. Like me wanting to be the best cult starter I could. It's like, you know, you got to get out of first grade. You got to get out of fourth grade. You got to take the training wheels off, you know? And so I rode like a cult starter for a long time, which wasn't necessarily bad because I had very relaxed horses, but they just weren't very handy. They weren't what we'd probably call broke. You know, they, they just didn't, they didn't do things very fast. So a lot of people liked what I did, but it wouldn't be a lot of maybe trainers that would admire what I did. It'd be more like normal people would really like the way I did things because my horses always looked relaxed. And so I'll kind of move forward a little bit. The biggest change in my life, I was, I was working, you know, anywhere between four and seven nights a week on the ambulance. And I would try to ride anywhere between six and well, maybe not ride, but work with between six and nine horses a day. And I just knew I was burning the candle at both ends. I was just like, you know, this something's got to give and I've got to pick a direction. Well, that was pretty easy for me because it's like it wasn't going to be EMS. Like I am so grateful. I could talk about how the EMS being a paramedic really helped me in my life and my development. But I knew it was the horses and it's like, you know, I walked away from it. I don't even have my paramedic anymore, you know, and, and I still had it only two years ago. So that's just one of those deals in 2018, I met my now wife and we connected very quickly and I came out to stay with her. We were both doing the Fort Worth extreme Mustang makeover and I, and she's done it and won and she's, you know, very good at that time. And I was still, very much a cult starter. And so I came out and we had two weeks before the show and I was watching her ride around and I was like, Holy smokes. Like I'm not ready. Like she was miles ahead of me. So I put my head down and really worked at it. And I did come close to making the top 10, but I didn't. And, you know, after that two weeks and that weekend at the show, we pretty much looked at each other and was like, okay, who's moving? Cause like, we're, we're going to be together. So I actually moved out to Texas and that helped a lot. You know, I think in a lot of ways, a guy's got to get out of the town he grew up in and, you know, meet new people and you're respected on a different level because the people in your hometown, they still see like the child version of you. They still see the mistakes you made at 15 and 16. And I didn't make a lot of mistakes. I was just kind of quiet and, 
I'm not quiet anymore, but like, I just, I was a rule follower back then. So, um, I was pretty boring as a kid, to be honest. So it's nice to get out of Arizona, come to Texas. I've got a ton of new friends, lots of clients. Like it's really been, you know, a cool deal, but I would say I did have to graduate from being a cult starter and those extreme Mustang makeovers. That's what really helped. I bet, I bet where I'm at today, I wouldn't be for another five or 10 years if I wasn't doing extreme Mustang makeovers and also getting, when I got invited to road to the horse, that was life-changing for me. Just that, that whole opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I certainly want to get into that. Um, because I mean, that's, that's how, you know, that's how I got to know who you were, um, was, was seeing you in Fort Worth. Um, but let, let's, let's, let's hold off on that a little bit. Um, um, could you tell me about a horse that, um, that really touched your heart and, and maybe how, how um, that horse or tell me about a horse that may, may have changed how you do things now? Oh man, there's probably been too many. My pro I'll tell you one of my problems is I, I'm, I would probably say I'm highly emotional, you know? And so when you're highly emotional, just like horses are, I would say horses are highly emotional. It's easy to connect with a horse. And when do you connect with them? You connect with them when they go through this massive amount of growth. So every time, you know, I've helped a horse go from one place to the next and they've gone through all this growth and they've found some real peace and comfort with me. They really touched me, you know, one in particular, um, that's touched me would probably be my main Mustang right now, which is Delilah. But, you know, I've had a lot of other horses that it was maybe a little deeper because they had so much fear where Delilah's not really had a lot of fear. So I think the ones that I've helped through some really being very fearful and coming through it and being accepting of humans and, you know, the Mustangs, they just are different. I, I can't tell you why. And I try not to say that too much because if you haven't trained one or two or 20 or whatever, some people don't see it or feel it, but to me, they've got a different feel to them on a deeper level. And so I connect with them pretty well. And, but I do think a big piece of it is when you help them through such a scary time of their life, you take them from being as wild as a deer to trying to get them to kind of that puppy dog part where, you know, they look for humans, they want to be with humans. And so Delilah has been a good one. We won the 2019 Ocala Extreme Mustang makeover together and I've still got her and I team rope on her and I do it all start cults with her. I, you know, she's, she's a really cool horse. So would you, I mean, you kind of, you kind of alluded to it, but being really sensitive, um, do you, do you think, or is it possible that what people may miss, mistakenly call a horse whisperer is just someone who's who's really sensitive and emotional i mean emotional yourself i i i, I kind of like to hope that that i'm emotional and i well i know i'm emotional but really sensitive myself um and, and i i think that very few horses look to look at me as a predator do, do you think there's any validity in that 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 maybe that's why horses gravitate to you is that is that emotional 
sensitivity? Yeah, I would say, you know, you start off talking about the horse whisper deal. A horse whisper to me, like, I don't talk about that hardly ever, but like, it's more of an awareness. Like they're so aware of the horse's attention, its eyes, its ears, its body language. So horses have a non, well, primarily nonverbal communication. So it's all body language. And so to me, the horse whisper, it understands the psychology of a horse, kind of the way it learns, but it also understands the way it, they move each other. And so in a lot of ways, like it's, I would say being sensitive definitely helps because you're a little more aware, you know, sensitivity doesn't have to be weakness. Sensitivity can be awareness. It can be feel. It can be, you know, when you can feel a light breeze on you or like maybe a hair touching you, like that could be sensitivity. It doesn't have to be weakness. So being sensitive, maybe on an emotional level, I think horses can read into that because I think they read energy as well. So it would probably come down to the energy you're putting towards the horse. They read that really well. And we say a lot with our eyes and our body and our posture, but I also think it's a, it can be a little deeper than that. And there's times where you'll see glimpses of it and it's pretty cool. And then there's other times when we have to do a little more and just, you know, the way we are maybe on a deeper level, isn't going to do much, but it, it can all help, you know, but, yeah, that'd be my thought on like the horse whisper deals really is they don't whisper to the horse, but maybe they listen to the horse at a, a really much better level than many people. And then they have a high level of skill and a high level of knowledge. Oh, really cool. Really cool. Um, what, um, what do you think if you were to say one thing that that your program has done for one of your clients that, that you didn't expect it to. Yeah. Um, so we've, it's funny, like sometimes I, I send a horse home and it's like such a good horse and I, I have not had any problems with it. And I'm just thinking, man, this thing's amazing. I send it home and, and the person's excited because of the way I'm excited, like, Hey, this is, you got a good horse. we got a good start. Like it's been awesome. And then they get them home and run into a lot of problems. And it's like, I didn't fix them because I never had them. You know, it's like, if you never, if I never run into it, like sometimes we try to create scenarios where maybe the horse will push into us or do this or do that. And then some of those horses, you know, a time or two of that. And they're like, Hey, I've got it. And then they go home and they're not as good. And then on the flip side, we've sent some that we, we weren't sure about, you know, I, I warned people like, Hey, don't don't trust the source too much too early, like take your time. And, you know, and then it's amazing how horses and people can match up, you know, and guys like you and me, we do our best to try and match the right person with the right horse. Like we, it's a relationship and it's for the most part, for most people, it's a long-term relationship. So we try to match them up with one so that they don't have to get out of that and go through the whole process of trying to find another one. So I'd say some of my biggest surprises have been when I've told people like, Hey, watch this one. Like, this is how he is. Like I've done my best, but this is what we're working on. This is what you need to do. And those people, it's almost like you set them up with a challenge and they rise to the occasion. They're like, you know, it, you're almost better off telling somebody, Hey, you can't ride this horse. He's too tough. And they're going to grind it out. Whereas when you tell them, Hey, you got a puppy dog and he's awesome. And he's so good. 
any little bobble and they're like, hey, I thought he was good. Well, he is good, but he's a horse. He's a living animal. Like you, you're going to have a relationship and a conversation with him every day. And I can't be there with you for that every day. So that's probably been the biggest surprises to me is just, you never, you almost never know how it's going to work out. Like we have a good idea, but you never really know if it's going to work when that person takes that horse home. And sometimes I'm so, I feel so blessed and excited when it really works. Cause that's what we want. We just want people and horses to be happy and flourish together. Yeah. That, that to me, that, that, that to me is one of the most rewarding things about what I get to do. I, I, I bought a gelding years ago out of the loose pen at the Billings horse sale. And he was, he was four years old and, and, and really pretty nicely broke. So I really didn't know why he was in the loose pen until one day I, I tried to lope him on his right lead and he blew up and stuck my head in the dirt. And, you know, yeah. after several chiropractic adjustments later, we got sorted through all that. Um, and then for you or him, for him, I mean, it, it, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't try me anymore. You know, he, he was, he was always kind of worried about that right lead, but at least it, you know, something was pinching him when he'd take his lead and yeah. he was trying to tell me and I wasn't listening. And, and so he finally got through to me um, yeah. And, yeah. and he wound up being, being a day workhorse for a 74 year old man in the Dallas, Oregon and oh, cool. the guy called me and, and I was just, I tossed and turned all night long when he was coming to get the horse. And his wife called me six months later and told me how much he loved the horse. Oh, that's and, cool. and that made me so happy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. So I, I know, I know that feeling. Um, and for those that, uh, for those that are, are having a horse trained, um, you know, I'm sure you, you try and do as much client education as possible, right? Yeah. What, uh, what, what sorts, what sorts of things, I mean, how do you go about teaching your clients? You know, what, what kind of education can, do you do to, to get your clients to be on the same page as you? Oh, my number one priority is for them to be safe. So, you know, that's the number of things and it just depends, but the biggest thing I want them to understand how if a horse were to buck or were to want to run off, how to diffuse the situation. I always try to be very clear and direct with this is what you do. You get short with one rein and you bend them around, you push the hind end around and then you can ride right back off like it. That that's how I start them. You know, it's if you can control the hind end, you can get to their their mind. And so that's the biggest thing I try to help them with. And understanding that that horse needs a leader you know there's a lot of people nowadays that it's almost like they want to take the leadership out of the relationship because they feel it doesn't make them feel good when there's a leader because the leader feels like a bad guy or something and so i there's a lot of maybe passive horsemanship going around and i think it's confusing for the horse like they need a leader if you're not the leader they think they are. And when the horse is the leader, he's looking out for his own safety and he doesn't understand the people world. So he might run from a barking dog and jump in front of a semi. Well, the barking dog was on the other side of the fence. The horse didn't understand that the semi was going 70 miles an hour. Like, you know, maybe don't ride next to the road would be number one, but 
that's where we need to help that horse and lead that horse and help him understand like, Hey, I got you because your leadership in helping him feel safe. That's where you're going to be safe. So I try to help him with that. And then it just do my best to kind of coach him with their individual needs and their horse's individual needs. But it's always for me, it's always about safety. It's like, I want people to be as safe as they can. I try to keep myself as safe as I can be as well. If, if, if you could have a billboard in your hometown with anything on it or not your hometown, but where you're, where you're at now, um, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, um, what would, what would that billboard have on it and why? Oh man. Um, so I'm very big on like personal growth and personal development. And so it'd probably be something like it gets better when you do, you know, a simple message that just, you know, if you want your life to get better, like you need to get better. You know, it's, um, it's very basic. You know, we all, sometimes we want to blame and it doesn't normally do us much good, whether it's right or wrong, you could blame something and you could be a hundred percent right. But I always feel like for me, it comes down to me and, you know, my better future. So I just work on helping myself become a better person and the best person I can be. So, you know, that I think something simple like that, it gets better when you do. And some people might pick up on it and others might, you know, throw their slushy at it. I don't know, but, but that would be, that would be a good enough message. Cause I don't really like to tell people what to do. If it's not their idea, they're not going to do it anyway. So that might just plant a seed for them. Okay. No, I, 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 I like that. I mean, I, I try and I don't try, you know, I, I'm a big personal development guy too. Um, that's, you know, if you, if you don't make progress, you know, people all the time talk about happiness and, and joy and, and how to be happy. And I, I've kind of discovered and, and believe that we're happy when, then when we're making progress, if, if we're getting better at whatever it is we're doing, that, that, you know, that makes me happy when my horses are a little better by the time I'm done and I'm, I've made some progress in a day that, you know, as silly as it may seem that to, to someone else that makes me happy. Yep. Yep. So if, you could, if you could turn back time, Craig, to back when you were an 18 year old, um, what would you, what would you tell your 18 year old self? Oh man, that's tough. So I've debated this before and it's like, on one hand, I kind of wish I would have stayed with horses, you know, all those years I golfed and did the paramedic deal, but I'd hate to lose those experiences and those friends. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd tell myself, uh, you're not going <laughs> to, let's see, how old was I say, I'd probably tell myself, you're not going to meet your wife till you're 28. So don't date so much. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I was always in a relationship and I look back and I just wish I would have spent more time alone, learning and building things. I love to build things. And man, I, all this stuff I maybe could have learned if I had just not been dating the wrong person, or maybe just as soon as I knew, if I just got out of it, I'd, I'd stay there longer than I know it wasn't working and I'd be there another six months or a year, you know, but other than that, I wouldn't want to take away any of my experiences. So I'd be cautious what I tell myself. Cause it's like, you know, who knows? It's so hard to go back and tell yourself something. Cause you know, one decision you're, you're only ever one decision away from a completely different life. You know, 
that that's what's crazy you know what? Oh, absolutely. I, i'm so lucky to be where i'm at right now it's unbelievable so are you, so so are you, are, do you still play golf oh yeah when my dad comes both my parents golf and so when my dad comes to town we try to play some i don't play that much alone but i i would say there's several times maybe even a week that i'll hit golf balls into my pasture and I just use a pitching wedge. So I walk out there and I got a little deal I pick them up with. And so I'll hit them at the teeter totter or the tires or the, the hill or, you know, I'll kind of aim at stuff, but I, I do love to golf. I still love to golf. And I'm, I'm assuming you're pretty handy at it. Oh, I'm okay. At one point I got down to a seven handicap. I'm probably about a 10 or a 12 handicap. So, you know, I, I can, I can have fun and get frustrated just as well as anybody else. <laughs> you're, you're you're good enough now though you you play well enough that you you deserve you you've earned the right to be mad at yourself for not playing well then yeah well See, I, not, I don't have my, my friends all tell me i'm not good enough to get mad oh man you know for me certain people i play with i've always said attitude's the most important i don't care if a guy's a 30 handicap if if he doesn't get too upset i don't care if a guy gets upset but walk you know go 10 seconds and get over it because it's just golf like when you you've seen what i've seen in terms of let's say being a paramedic i don't want to get too detailed but like when you've seen loss of life and you've seen things it 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 changes your perspective and you start to you know I, i just went to mexico for new year's and i golfed three times and it's just my perspective was amazing i had the most fun golfing in one of my rounds was one of the best I was playing, but we got rained out, which is super rare for Mexico. But, you know, it was that perspective. It was that mindset, you know, it's, it's not what happens to us. It's how we, you know, perceive it and how we feel about it. And so, you know, golf is great mental training. I'll say that it's, it's great because it can be frustrating just like horses can be frustrating and it's great for your patience and, there's a lot of technical skill to golf too. It's a very difficult game. Well, that, that's kind of where, I mean, I mean, I, I, it's kind of cool. Not a, it's kind of cool, completely cool that, that you, you like golf and, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's had an effect on your horsemanship, right? Yeah, definitely. That, that mental practice and learning how to, to walk away from that shot and go clean the slate and take your next shot. Cause you yeah. know, when, when you, when you get your next horse, you know, I want to, I want to ask you this question. Do you, do you ride your best horse first in the morning or your hardest horse? Oh, life? I do it like dinner. Worst to best finish with dessert. Okay. Why? Well, you know, I've done it both ways. And so the big thing is the weight as a trainer, I don't know if people that aren't trainers realize the mental strain or maybe I just am harder on myself than some other trainers, but the mental strain of being a horse trainer and you really have to take care of yourself because you, you go through some very difficult mental stuff. And so like one thing, if you save the tough horses for last, they will weigh on your mind all day you will they will be in the back of your mind whether you want to be or not and 
maybe you're running a little behind later in the day and, oh, I still got to get to that one. He's kind of tough. And well, the sun's going down and now there's a shadow there and, you know, the breeze is picked up and, you know, I, I, the dog's barking. And so now you're kind of talking yourself out of maybe riding that horse that day. And so I will say this, I mix it up too, because I, I don't, you don't want to ride horses at the same time every day. You want to make sure you know, cause it seems like if you ride them every evening, the owner will come watch you ride them in the morning and they'll act completely different. it's like, because you got them on too much of a schedule. And so you got to mix that up. Like we move their pens around and, and we tie them in different places and, you know, we're trying to get them mentally stronger. So for me, it's getting the weight of that difficult horse off my brain, just, it, you know, and as you're maybe a little more tired later in the day, you you've got your best horses and it's easier to stay on them and you know a lot of those at the end of the day you're probably not doing any groundwork with because they don't really need it and and you probably don't really want to do it so that's that's me and I, I've found I didn't used to do that but I've found that works really well for me and it it helps me a lot just to get them out of the way and then it's like you know them last three or four are just no worries you know you're just kind of working on the fun stuff most of the time Nice. Nice. I, I, I've, I've battled my whole professional career with horses, whether to, you know, whether to ride, ride the best one first so that I knew what I wanted the rest of them to feel like, or if I did that, then I was going to be mean to the rest of them or, or exactly the way you're, you're, you know, if you ride the, 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 if you save the bad ones for the end of the day, then it's easy to, easy to say, nah, I don't need to. Right. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. That that's, I, I like your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what's the most important thing in your life, uh, that you've learned about horses? No, I thought that was going to be a different question. I thought it was going to be, what's the most important thing in my life. And I was going to say my wife, which I'll oh. say that anyways, she well, is no, absolutely say that. Amazing. And, and while we're on that subject, uh, tell us a little bit about your lovely bride. Yeah. So, um, Katie, um, is awesome. I don't know how I found someone that matched me so well, but it was definitely like the old timers tell you when they say, you'll know when you meet them, you'll know. And I always wondered, I always thought, well, is this the one? Do I know? Do I not know? Well, with her, I knew it was, it was the first, um, I was right before that makeover and we were like, laying on the couch watching a movie or something just kind of had my arm around or whatever but like we're we're physically touching watching a movie and and I wasn't close enough to her like my I could feel it in my chest I wasn't close enough to her and I thought man this is she's the one you know and at that time she was still she's a quite a lot quieter than me so I do most of the talking and so I didn't know her as well back then but I just I just knew and so she, she's a lot better at showing and finishing right now than me. She's shown a lot in her life. And so she trains too, but she doesn't ride as many horses now. She does the billing and, you know, she keeps the house clean and she does any of the bandaging on horses and she does the whole feed. But I couldn't tell you what a single horse out there gets in terms of grain. You know, when, when we don't have help, I do all the hay and I do a lot of the waters and stuff like that. But she does the whole feed program. And so she, she is, we're such a good match. You know, if I don't want to do something she does and, you know, and the same thing with horses, you know, if I'm struggling with a horse, she'll be like, let me try for a few days. And, 
whether it gets much better or I just get to watch her and, and it just watching her helps me see maybe what I was missing. And maybe she doesn't make much progress, but I can kind of step back and say, Oh, this is what that horse needs. Cause sometimes when you're sitting on their back, it's kind of hard to see what's going on. So, you know, we don't spend many minutes apart, honestly, like we just, we're together all day, every day. We love our dogs dearly. We love our animals and our horses and, our friends and you know honestly we don't even a lot of times we don't even care if we leave the house and it's probably because we're here together you know and we love it out here so you know she's she's special i'm really lucky to have her we're a really good match so but yeah i can't say enough good stuff about her so one of the one of the things that i've i've often well years ago there was a there was a one-armed cow cutter in in texas named ned hunt <clears throat> and ned was pretty handy and, and a bit of a poet and and he wrote this poem and to this day i remember it um he said you can't teach your wife to cut um honey cut the semitol hum semitol not too short not too tall semitol <laughs> honey i said cut the semitol i did enough said so having having said that, um, <laughs> how do you guys handle coaching each other? I, I know that's that can be a real challenge amongst amongst couples. I I remember uh, stories of Matlock and Carol Rose having screaming matches in the in the in the practice pen. Wait, so I would tell you we don't really get to that level. I think to have a relationship it's very hard to have one where you can coach each other, but I can tell you the secret. If you want to be in a relationship where you can actually coach on each other, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. For one, you've got to be patient. If you want to help them, you got to be patient and let them, let them struggle. Like anybody you want to help. Like you, the more you offer help, the more you're probably going to get some pushback, but, when we do finally try to help each other, we, the person receiving the help has to be humble because that other person's been watching you and they're, they can see more than probably you can feel in a lot of ways. Cause they've been watching this go on for some time, whatever it may be. And when they finally offer you advice, I think you need to be humble and appreciate it, whether you agree with it or not, you know, and, and if we don't agree, it kind of ends there. We, we're not going to scream. I mean, we just aren't that way, but uh, you know, for other people that works and that's fine. Relationships are individual. Like I'm not saying my way is the right way. I'm saying for us, this is what works, which is like you, anytime somebody gives me advice, you know, I, I feel like in a lot of ways I take criticism well, and other people wouldn't probably say that about me, but I get insulted in all these different ways and I'm just like, okay, yeah, I can work on that and try that. And, and then sometimes people give me advice and I, I don't agree with them. And it's mostly because I've already tried it. Like, I'm like, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And that's, that's good advice. But, you know, maybe I tried that with this horse or maybe I don't want to do it for, I don't want to do it for this reason or that reason. And so for us, I would say you need to love and more importantly, you need to respect your partner when they give you advice. And, and if you want to get frustrated, you might just take a minute and get quiet and go think on it. Because especially as a man, 
we will argue and we will defend ourselves because that ego is always trying to get in there. And that ego wants to defend. It wants to, it wants to be right. And for one, I wish I could get rid of it. Like I wish I could get rid of the need to be right because every time you're right, you're probably not learning anything because you're just saying something you already know. So that that's a, it's probably a long answer that I could have shortened, but you know, it's just, love, respect, and humble yourself, you know, listen and take it in. And it's not that you can't disagree. You can still disagree with them. We still do. But then the other person's just like, okay, well, I gave my advice, but that's the thing. If you're the advice giver, don't be so attached to your advice. You, both of you have to be a little humble. If you're giving advice, you can't be attached to it. If they don't want it, that's okay. They don't, they don't have to take it. And some people, they're, they're, they got too much ego, whether they're receiving or they're giving advice that ego to me is normally what makes you fight because you're, you believe so strongly that you've got to defend your side. Well, I, I know, I know for me that that is, that is the rub for, for me to get, you know, to remember that I need to put my ego to the side and, 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 and accept, accept help. Um, and that, remembering that it's not a personal attack and it's not that i'm you know i'm worthless it's that you know hey you might feel like your horse is right but this is what i'm seeing and there's a huge difference between how it feels and what it looks like and we, we all kind of know that right yeah yeah but also sometimes it doesn't we don't gain anything by giving advice so if you believe your partner can see what you're seeing then for me, I'm going to set up a situation to film them and I'm just going to let them watch it because I, we take it upon ourselves too much, I think, to, to tell somebody. And the last thing I want to do is tell somebody. They need to find the answer. You can tell a horse what you want all day, pull on the reins all day, but you got to get that horse to find the opening because if you're always pulling, they'll pull back. So that'd be my thought is like, if you know it looks bad and you think they're savvy enough to see that, then you say, then you just film them and let them watch. And then if they're not savvy enough, you would address it like, you know what might make that look better? So now you're not saying it looks bad. You're just saying, you know what might make that look better? So I work a lot on that, my interpersonal skills. So that might be another reason we don't fight much about things because, you know, I, I will, if it turns into a fight, I will blame myself. If they don't get help from me, I will blame myself. Like I probably could have done that better. And then next time I try to do better. So that, that probably helps to not fight too much. That probably helps you with all your lessons, right? Yeah. Even, even, even the times you give instruction to people you're not married to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what's the best compliment you've ever received? I was uh 17 years old and someone said to me they said you know you just always think things are going to work out for you and then they do oh i love that that had to make yeah. you feel did did you did you understand how big of a compliment that was at the time i i didn't i like it i mean I heard it and I knew the person it was coming from was very negative, very pessimistic about, oh, we might get a flat tire. Oh, we might this. Oh, the it might rain. And and I just always thought stuff was going to work out. And so 
it's funny that I remember that so well, because it, it's just like, you know, I just think positivity is important. And so, yeah, I, at the time, no, but I've thought about that so many times because it's just like, that's, that's the mindset. And the best thing you can do is work on your mindset. So, you know, if someone says you're good looking, like, we don't really have a lot to do with that. You know, maybe if we work out or something, but when someone compliments our mindset, we, we work on that, whether we mean to or not every day, we are, we are with that mindset and maybe adjusting that mindset. So yeah, that was, I still think that's just the coolest thing. And a lot of people may not feel that way, but to me, that was like the coolest thing. Oh, I, I would, you know, I, I wish somebody would say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that yeah. is, that is like, earth shattering in my opinion yeah um, yeah what uh uh what would be your best tip for making the world a better place for horses oh work on yourself and don't tell other people what to do yeah that would be like and i'll elaborate a little bit because like you know i get that a lot someone the other day was saying that i said i just want to help this person so much and it's like go get better just you keep getting better and and you support them and when they're ready, they'll ask. And if you tell them before they're ready, they're going to push you away. And, you know, if you want to help people and you don't like this advice of not helping them so much so early, go do it. You go give advice to everyone you think needs it because pretty soon you'll realize it doesn't work. You cannot tell people what to do. You, you can give them the answers, but it doesn't work that way. You, they have to find the answer. Sometimes we give it to them a little bit, but we also set it up for them to find why it's better. Well, most of us had to go to the school of hard knocks at some point, or like me, several points in our life. We, someone says, don't do that. Don't do that. And guess what? You did it. You burned your hand or you got dumped or you crashed your truck. And now, you know, you learned now they told you not to, you knew, but you didn't really know because you hadn't lived it. So, you know, work on yourself and don't be in such a hurry to give other people advice. Help, let them find it just like you're out there trying to find it and they'll come to you when they're ready. Um, what's, what's something uh, people seem to misunderstand about you? The other side of that. I think people, I think a lot of people think I'm cocky or here's one that every, I think everyone says this about everyone. Oh, he thinks he's better than he is. Oh, she thinks she's better than she is. Well, that's how you get better. You think you're better than you are. And then all of a sudden you, the universe helps your body get there. Like I love that quote, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Like that's oh, the gosh. deal. Like you gotta believe you're that better trainer. And so I think a lot of people think I'm cocky, overconfident or whatever. So I'll tell you a big way I've started to get rid of that too. For anyone out there that, you know, feels that way. I try to be the first one to say hello. When I go to a horse show and I see people I know, I try to say hello because it's awkward when you walk by him five times and you haven't said hi yet and you both know it. And you're like, does he think he's too good for me or does he not like me? Be the first one to say hello. When you see people, Hey, how are you? Oh man, I've been seeing that on Facebook and you know, all that stuff. So that's advice when really I was trying to say that, you know, it's maybe people think I'm cocky and I'm, people don't realize how much I tear myself down I, to me in my brain. I'm humble. I'm like the most humble guy I know because in my brain, I'm terrible. Like I'm working on me every day. It gets hard to coach some days because I'm too busy working on myself trying to fix my weaknesses. But that would be people think I'm cocky. And it's like, I'm not cocky, but I am trying to manifest and I am trying to be confident 
and and put out positivity so it gets misinterpreted you know i i think that's i think that's something that that gets misinterpreted about a lot of people in the horse training business and and in the horse world in general i i i've i've been thinking you know, when i came up with that question i i was trying to think of a horse trainer that i know that i would i would classify as as you know conceited or cocky or 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 too good for anybody and i i couldn't come up with one i don't think horses will allow you to be like that mm -hmm. yeah I, I don't i don't think you could be a teacher of horses and and be and be cocky i mean people used to say all the time how how cocky bill freeman was and and and, and bill was not conceited Bill yeah. was one of the most humble guys on the planet. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, Tom, Tom Lyons and, and, and those guys, Tom had her, you know, people would say all the time about, about Tom Lyons being that way and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my dear friend, Annie Reynolds, you know, people criticize her for, you know, for being uh, conceited and Annie's just painfully shy. Yeah, I mean, yep. stare at her own shoes, introverted. Um, yep. Horses, you you don't get to that. You don't get horses won't let you be conceited. I don't think they will humble you. <laughs> yes. Well, well, Craig, what what else should I ask you that I'm I, I don't know enough and I'm not smart enough to ask? What 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 else do you think people should know about you? Oh, I don't. Well, I guess something I haven't really said much of yet as I'm a big believer in kind of manifestation and we just hit on it just a little bit, but you know, I believe in the power of positivity and manifesting things. And I think that's a big way I, I got to road to the horse was through manifesting. And so a lot of my deal is mindset. And I, one of the biggest things I hope to do is just help a lot of horses and a lot of people, you know, I'm, I just love being able to help and that's that's i think it's a lot of us in the horse world you know like you said before like you when you learn things you just you want to share it you you want to you want to help somebody take that step that you took that someone else helped you take and so you know for me if if people want to know who i am i just i love people and i love horses and i just do my best to help them and not all of them are going to take that help and that's okay but that's me. That's my deal. Outstanding. Um, all right. Now, now the, 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 the real fun stuff road to the horse. Um, yeah. how did you get involved with that? So, Oh, I'll tell you what the stars align. I started thinking about it. I wanted to do it. I tried to think about it every day. I tried to start imagining myself there. Uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation, had put out an email that somebody from a makeover in 2019 was going to get invited to road to the horse. And so there was four makeovers scheduled that year. And I'll try to summarize as best I can, but I was, we'd already just entered one of them. And I think we already picked up and then Kentucky, they had just closed the entries on, like you couldn't enter anymore. And then there was a government shutdown. And they canceled two of the makeovers. So there ended up only being two makeovers that they can pull from. And most of the good, like 
top, top trainers were probably going to do Fort Worth. Well, Fort Worth was canceled and the two makeovers that were already happening, you couldn't enter. So I was already in Florida and I said, oh man, like the best, if you're going to get picked for Road of the Horse, you need to win. So I got Delilah, everything went good. I won. And then the Kentucky makeover, the girl that won that probably, you know, I don't know if she's a cult starter or not, but outside of looking in, I thought, you know, she's probably not a cult starter. I think she did the makeover more as like a fun hobby and it was her first one. And so I was like, man, I got a good chance and got the call and I got in it that way. So, you know, a lot of people have called me and asked me how to get into road to the horse. And I know how, but I didn't do it the way that most people do it. I, I just, man, the stars aligned and it was just meant to be, to be honest with you. Um, what did, what did the experience in Fort Worth teach you? Um, Oh, the road to the horse. The, the road oh, to the so, horse. What, what, what were the lessons you learned from that? So, first of all, the people were awesome. Wade Black, um, Ken McNabb, the Camerons. You know, just lots of good people there. It was so cool, and it's just hard to explain. Just being backstage with them and just kind of shooting the breeze, and then going to the the little private get togethers and stuff, but I definitely learned, like I, I drew a horse that fell into my weakness. You know, I started a lot of Mustangs and forward horses and I drew one, which there's a lot of them in that herd that are kind of like that where they're not very forward. So I learned that if you don't get your horse very forward and you saddle him, he's going to buck and he's probably, you're going to have a hard time teaching him to go forward and not buck without completely wearing him out. So I should have got my forward way better before saddling him because he saddled very easy. Like I could have thrown it on and off and then went back to working on forward. And, you know, I had my mind rattled a little bit when I got whistled, like, you know, I dallied on Delilah and that foot, horse got his foot over the rope and I wasn't worried about it. Cause normally when a horse gets his foot over the rope, he gets it back off the rope. So I was like, hmm, he'll figure it out. And then they blew that whistle and I just, you know, I was a little lost right there. So then I got a little, worried about pushing my horse too hard and and I'm not a big pusher anyways as most people probably saw you know I try to work with him as much as I can so you know that lack of forward like I'll tell you on Sunday I was ready to go back to Friday and start over I was like let's do it over because I think I could have got a completely different result but I had no forward and that that horse knew I was bluffing him because you know I wasn't really willing to whack him with the lead rope or anything very much because that whistle, I just felt like, oh man, I can't really do anything. And I'd say it kind of blew my mind and looking back, I wish I would have just got back in there. And, and really I noticed it when I got home and I watched the road to the horse on TV and I kind of saw what everyone else was doing. And they were, you know, those horses, you got to do quite a bit to get them forward. And those, the other competitors did a really good job of that. And I didn't. So, you know, the lack of forward to me, was the big thing and on all the other years I've watched that's kind of what everyone said but it's like we just talked about they might have said it they might have told me but I hadn't experienced it I learned it when I went there and experienced it like yep forward was the deal and even no matter how many times I'd heard people say that I hadn't really run into it because I started a lot of forward horses a lot of wild mustangs and stuff so that was the biggest thing how important the forward was um so you alluded to uh, to 
uh, Mustang makeovers. Um, besides the Mustang makeovers, what other kind of contest have you competed in? Uh, I do team roping. So in December, I went to the World Series finale in Vegas and had a good trip. We didn't have a lot of luck. We we won a little, like almost won our fees back or whatever. But um, so I team route. We do a little bit of the working ranch challenge out here. We go to some of the small horse shows. Um, there's some in Stephenville. Um, yeah, that's that. I mean, I get, and then we do some obstacle stuff too, I guess. So I guess we do kind of a lot of stuff. We kind of do it all right now. Like we haven't really picked a direction. We're hoping this year we, we've both, Katie and I both have a couple three-year-olds we like and, we're hoping to do the uh, stock horse of Texas. So that'll be a little more cow horsey, but they've got a trail class. And, you know, so hopefully this year, a little bit more of that and a lot of team rope and I'll still do that. Does your, does your wife team rope with you? Oh, no, no, I wish that's my dream. She knows it's my dream. So she's, she's going to work on it a little bit this year, but not yet. So she's, she's just, just at home working on her, working on her swing and she's not ready to, to, to go compete yet yeah yeah she just needs to rope the dummy some more and and the sled and rope some slow cattle and you know if if i had it my way you know we'd kind of just play around like that at home for a couple of years before we worried about entering much you know you can just work on that foundation and getting her confident in what's going on and you know the more times you do it the slower it gets so the first time or two that you you rope, you run that thing all the way to the catch pen and you feel like it happened in a blink, you know? So you just got to make a lot of runs, just like horses, build that confidence. And so, yeah, right now she's still, she's, and she's thrown a loop off a horse. Like she can swing off a horse and throw a loop and stuff, but she had, hasn't made any like full team rope and runs. What, um, what do you have on the, on your plate for 2022? What, what, what's, what's, what's on your uh, agenda for, for this year? Craig, you know, I think we may try to do a few more clinics. You know, we didn't, we did a couple little ones last year, but we, we just, we were kind of working on things and I feel a lot better about my teaching this year. So we'll do some more. We'll try to travel a little more, do some clinics. We've already got some people reaching out to us. We're going to do the Fort Worth extreme Mustang makeover. That'll be in September. We'll probably go to the world series finale in December in Las Vegas um we've got oh there's something else i was thinking we've got quite a bit of stuff but it's man it's it's hard to remember to be honest with you like i need to probably get better at my calendar but that that makeover will be a big one for us we really enjoy the makeovers it helps us grow as trainers because in 100 days you're doing your best to get them riding one-handed and doing flying lead changes and big stops. And also you put together a freestyle. So that's our big one. Oh, the other one I was going to say, we'll do a girl's camp and we may do some other kind of camps, but we did a girl's camp last year and those girls just had a blast. And it's hard to find a camp that lets you bring your own horse. And there was, uh, I think six girls and they came and stayed for six days. And so it was horsemanship, but there was a lot of just, the girls being young girls and friends and having fun and playing around and roping each other. And just, you know, that camp, we put it on because we wanted to do something we liked as kids, which the, what you love the most is those friendships. It's those times after dark when you're laughing and you're eating Pringles and popcorn and you're, you know, and it was so cool 
how much fun they had. And they're like, you have to have us back next year. And so that'll be, hopefully we'll kind of set up a couple more. We've had some people call us and tell us we need to do an old ladies camp, which hey, I'm good with. I mean, I don't know if they want to go to the wineries at night or what, but hopefully we'll do a little more clinicking the camps and have people here. We like to have people here. We built a little mini RV park last year and I've been working pretty hard lately on trying to get the bunkhouse done it's got a couple bathrooms in it and so getting our place set up to host people hopefully we can get that done this year well that'd be that'd be amazing huh that 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 i i I know the more you teach it helps it helps you too right oh yeah you remember what you're supposed to be doing (laughs) (laughs) you have to take your own advice darn it oh yeah yeah well, Craig, I, I guess we'll we'll leave this at one one last question, and and I, I I struggled whether to ask you this first or ask you last, um, so we're going to ask it last because I didn't ask it first. Um, how how do you define horsemanship? I know natural horsemanship is a is kind of a buzzword, and and a lot of people say there's nothing natural about horsemanship, and. And I know Pat Pirelli even said that, you know, it's not something that he thought up. I mean, horses have, you know, there, there isn't anything natural about a horse being ridden, but um, I'd like to get your definition of horsemanship. Well, I guess I, I'll probably have a little more simplicity. I kind of use it maybe as like a, uh, I, I use maybe an adjective with it. I use it as, so it's, it's horse it's human and it's relationship. So I like to think of it as the communication. So is it good horsemanship or bad horsemanship? So that's where, when we're working on our horsemanship, we're working on our communication with the horse. And that is how do we perceive what they're saying and how do we say things to them? Because our relationship is mostly not completely, but it's mostly nonverbal, especially as we're starting out. So that's where I would kind of view it more like it's communication and the word natural. I think it gets a little more credit than it's worth because a lot of people like something. If it has the word natural before it, like I'm not all about natural. Cause if I was about natural, we'd probably be living in caves and we wouldn't have air conditioning and, you know, running water and plumbing. So, you know, I think people, I think it came out because natural feels good. And there's a lot of horsemanship now that feels good, you know, like Liberty feels good. So now everybody, and you know, I do Liberty too. I like Liberty, but I think some people get into Liberty for the wrong reasons. They do it because it's, it's easier on the horse or it seems, you know, there's no ropes and there's no restraints. Well, that doesn't mean there's no work. I mean, there's still a lot of work that goes into training a Liberty horse and a lot of discipline. So, you know, if you just want to talk about the word horsemanship, it's, it's relationship and it's communication. And so that's where I kind of just use it. Like, was it good horsemanship, bad horsemanship? And I've told people before, you might call what I do natural horsemanship. I, I don't know. I don't really, I don't call it anything. I just, you know, I, I say I work with horses or maybe I teach horses or, you know, but I don't, I tried to get too caught up on it. And here's a good little spin off of that. What I've noticed, some of like the big time, big name trainers that we all know, they have like little rivalries. It's like one of them will say, disengage the hindquarters. And the other one will say, why would I want to? And this is separate. They're at like different expos saying this. 
another one saying, why would I want to disengage the hindquarters? Like I want to engage the hindquarters. And then, you know, it's so funny how the, the one says, oh, uh, you got to get them desensitized. And the other one says, oh, I would never desensitize. I don't want my horse desensitized. I want them sensitized. And it's like we get caught up on words, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't worry too much about the words. You know, it, it, the guy that doesn't like the word desensitizing, he'll use a word like get them used to. Oh, you're not desensitizing. You're getting them used to. I mean, it's it's the same thing with a different word. But when you can write up a post on Facebook and have this clever way of explaining why desensitizing is bad and we should never do it. People kind of jump on that. They like that because it's it's cutting edge. Right. It's new. So they like that. But I don't get too caught up on the words. So, you know that. But. I hope people just have, you know, good horsemanship and they hope to improve their horsemanship and just have a good relationship with their horse. And, you know, a lot of that just comes down to discipline. You know, it's the more disciplined we are with ourselves and, you know, our habits, the, our habits make our horses. So that's a lot what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would tend to agree. I know there's one of my friends, uh, he says that, that he lives by the, the, there's more than one way to be right. Um, yeah. And, and one of the things that, that Mr. Chris Cox says that, that I, I really think holds water is along those lines of discipline is whatever you tolerate, you encourage. And yeah. I think that's yeah. one of, for me, one of the most challenging things about my, my program is making sure that, that, I don't encourage any bad behavior. Um, and, I, and I think that, I mean, that really in my mind boils down to self-discipline. And, and I think that's, that's one of the hardest things about this whole deal, right? Oh yeah. And I love that saying you said of Chris Cox's and Buck Brenneman's got one like that too, where, you know, people will say, why does my horse do that? And he'd be like, I don't know. Why does the five-year-old pick his nose? Cause nobody ever told them not to, you know, it's like, sometimes they just do stuff and nobody ever made it harder for them to do it. So they just keep doing it. So those are great. Both of those guys, you know, master horsemen, I really look up to. So that's a, that's a really good saying Chris has. So do you think we'll see you back at road to the horse? Is there any, any chatter along those lines? So I've been asked that quite a bit and, um, I think one day, um, I don't know when, but every time someone asks and they say, man, I love watching you. I say, you know what? Reach out to them and let them know. Cause this is why earlier I said, I know how to get on Road to the Horse. I had to figure it out because everyone kept asking me, how do you get on there? And I finally figured it out. You have to be able to sell tickets. You know, if nobody knows who you are, it's harder to get on there. So for people that aspire to be on Road to the Horse, you've got to work on yourself, become more well-known and be a person that you know, it, it's a spectator event. So if you can't sell enough tickets to bring people or you don't have a good message to bring people, then it's a lot harder, you know, and I think people should set their sights on something that big. I'm not saying don't like, I don't care if nobody knows you right now, you can get there. I know you can, anybody can. So I would say, um, you know, with, uh, oh man, I forgot what the first part was. What were we talking about? We were talking about how, how to get on there. And it's not like you're ever going to be too yeah. old, right? I mean, Craig Cameron yeah. at 71 um, yeah. actually got a horse saddled and rode. And and, and he yeah. did his job in three days, just like the rest of y'all, right? 
yeah. And so in terms of me maybe getting back there one day, I would, if they invited me, I would love to, you know, it was an awesome experience. And I think it's very possible, you know, and what I've seen them do in the past, they'll kind of circulate people back through. So I, I hope so. And I, I would be honored and happy to. Otherwise, I'm just a, a big time supporter of it. I think it, it's helped me in so many ways. And in the big thing I didn't get to say earlier that I probably should have is it changed my life because before they called me, I might not ride a horse for two weeks or a month. You might send me a horse and I might have it a month and say it's not ready. Well, when you get invited to an event where you have to get on one, I had to have my game. I had, to, I had to learn how. And one of my now best friends, Mark Lyon, showed me how. And and he has he is an amazing cult starter. And and he taught me and I do what I do every day now, most of it I learned from Mark. He he is to me one of the best cult starters I've ever been around. And and um I, I thank Road to the Horse for the opportunity. Uh, and I went to a lot of other people trying to learn how to be a better cult starter. And one thing we're amazing at as humans is overcomplicating things. And Mark made it very simple. And so that was, you know, for me, that was exactly what I needed. It's helped me so much. And it really, really just woke me up and made me excited again to train horses because I was in a bit of a slump and I was struggling and struggling to get him rode and know when do you get on him for the first time because this guy does 47 steps to a first ride and this guy does 50 things you got to get good and mark's got about three things got to be good and you can get on him and that that helped me a lot yeah that that was the thing that impressed me both most about about wade black was you know i i, I learned i was i was fortunate enough to get to haul his horses down and in, and one of the things I got in exchange for that is I got to take his cult starting class at the Treasure Valley Community College, and cool. and it was really cool to know that what he did at Road to the Horse was what he does. Yeah, I mean that's that is you know if if he starts a cult, if they're ready to be saddled, he saddles them. If they're ready to get on him, he gets on them. And, yeah. and I tease him about it being a lot easier to throw a leg over him when you're a pretty good bronc rider. Um, <laughs> but uh, what he, what he says and, and what he did at road to the horse is what he has his college kids do. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's really, you know, it's basically two pages, uh, a little worksheet that he's got his, his training for perfection, little worksheet of the, the, the steps to get him ready to ride. And it's really simple. Yeah. It's not easy, but it's simple. That's it. Yep. Yeah. He was one of my favorite people I met there for sure. I, I wish I could get around him a little more. Just good people. You know, he, him and his family, they were, they were so awesome. And I don't mean to cast a shadow on anyone else. Cause I did meet a lot of other cool people there. Like Ken McNabb was really cool too. But since we're talking about Wade, man, I, I really liked him and his family a lot. Yeah. He, he is he is really the real deal. I, I I've got to know, I mean, I, I'm from the same kind of area. His, his great grandfather gave me my first horse. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, and I, and I didn't, I wasn't friends with Wade until here recently because he's a lot younger than me, but um, I was at horse camp with his dad. Um, I've known his dad almost my whole life. And 
I'm nowhere near as accomplished as those guys are, but I, I yeah. sure look up to them. And, and I really, I really look up to how Wade leaves, leads his life and, and takes care of his family as much as his, as much as his horsemanship. Yeah. I just think he's really, he's a really special guy. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, Craig, it has been such an honor to visit with you. And I, I know you, you, you may or may not have horses. You got to go feed. I, I still have to go feed mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, I, I am, I am so delighted to get to visit with you. And if, uh, if there's any way possible, I would love to have you come to our, uh, our little horse expo that we have every year up here at uh, uh, Nampa at the Idaho center. I know we've had, we've had Chris Cox and Ken McNabb and, and Wade and, and, I'm, I'm still pulling to have you come up and Wylene, I think it'd be fun to have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to, if you guys we'd would, if you guys oh. would like to do that. Um, I'm, I'm friends with the people that, that run that show. I can, I can sure nag them until they relent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, anything I did, I'd do with my wife. We, you know, demonstrate any horsemanship stuff. We're a really good team. And so, we love to. We've been up there, and that facility is awesome. So, so that would be great. Oh, that would be so cool. Well, well, Craig, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it my mission to make that happen. And again, I thank you so much for your time and and visiting with me. And I know everybody's gonna gonna really enjoy learning more about you. Uh, well, cool. Thank you. Call me anytime. I appreciate uh, it. I was happy to talk with you. We probably could have talked all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, yeah if, if the horses weren't there we might I, yeah. I appreciate you sir and you have a great evening you too talk to you later thank you so much for joining me on horse sense 101 a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our facebook group horse sense 101 and every monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m mountain time I'd like to thank you, my listeners, members, Mr. Craig Moore, as well as my wife and friends that make all this possible. God bless you and have a wonderful week. The Mustang still runs free. Eagle soars above the pinion pines. And we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines. Let them run, let them run, let them wild ponies run, don't you brand them, don't you break them, don't you let the killers take a sand.